0: And so choir, I don't think I've ever heard Amazing Grace to a more beautiful melody. And thank you for, for that. And thank you, carol choir, for your great anthem. And thank you, Bellissimo, for ringing the bells for us. We've had lots of talent shared with us this day and leading in this worship service. And we're grateful for, for all of you. Thank you for, for what you do for us. Today is Scout Sunday. Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and the groups that are affiliated with those two groups. And so we're going to do something. I think we've done this before, so just bear with me. We want to recognize these folks. And let's begin with all those who are active Scouts right now. Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, Cub Scouts, any of the active Scouts, if you would stand for just a moment, please, and remain standing. Stand up and let us see who you are. Many of you have on your uniforms and your sashes. If any of you have ever been a Cub Scout, a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout, would you stand? If any of you have ever been a Scout R right now or have ever been a leader of a Scout group, would you stand if you're not standing already? And remain standing, please. We want to we want to get you up for just a moment. All right, we're about to get it all covered. And the next question is, have you ever purchased and eaten any Girl Scout <laughs> And the last question is, how about the same question with Boy Scout popcorn? Have you ever, ever tried it? Alright, well just look around you and you can see what kind of an impact that the scouting program has had on generations and we're grateful here at Noonan First United Methodist Church to be a part of that, to have such a great program here and to have other groups that sometimes use our facilities we are delighted to be in ministry with all of these folks and thank you all i know it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort a lot of resources to keep these programs going so thanks to all of you who who make that possible our scripture lesson for today is from john's gospel Chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. This is sometimes referred to as the prologue to John's Gospel. And since it is a Gospel lesson, obviously, I would ask you to stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, All things came into being through him. Without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. the law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. This is the word of God for the people of God. May see it. Thank you. We're continuing our Epiphany sermon series and these days between Christmas and Lent based on a hymn by Philip Bliss and we talked about that last week. The hymn is Wonderful Words of Life and we've been talking about what some of those life words are and what the opposite of a life word is on a death word, a word that brings hurt and heartache and harm and destruction. So prevalent are death words in our culture that we have to be very careful by the way, that we use the language and the things we say to and about one another. Words are powerful. What we say matters. It's not just what we do. Some folks say that. It's not what you say, it's what you do that matters. Well, that's wrong. It's both. It's both. Words can be powerful and helpful, and words can be destructive. And the first life word we talked about was love more than a feeling. And the opposite of love is hate. And we talked about mercy and grace today, but when we talked about mercy, the opposite is revenge. Revenge is always a death word. And word number three for today is grace. John's gospel in the prologue we read just a moment ago mentions it time and time again. And the word became flesh and lived among us full of grace and truth. Grace, the opposite of grace, which I think, means acceptance. The opposite is rejection. And rejection can often be a death word. For the next few moments, I want to think about the theological concept of grace and how we've interpreted that traditionally in United Methodism. Three kinds of grace, and I know there are other branches and other ways of looking at it, but for our purposes today... want to mention just briefly prevenient grace, which is the grace of God at work in our lives and in our hearts, often before we're even aware of it. And then justifying grace, and that's where I want to spend most of our time today, being accepted and accepting the love and mercy of God into our hearts and into our lives and embracing that. And then there's sanctifying grace, which is the process of growing in grace all the days of our life, never having it all, never grasping it all, but growing in grace, growing into the likeness of Jesus the Christ, serving him in this world as we grow in sanctifying grace. Grace, someone said not long ago, and it it really stuck with me, that the final act of grace in our lives is to make us graceful and gracious people. Justifying grace tells the story of, about how individuals enter into a relationship that God offers. It's the moment when we realize that we do not merit the relationship. It's not something that we work our way into. In a sense, it's a double acceptance. We accept the relationship that is offered to us in Christ if we can. Paul Tillich, a well known theologian of the last century, said accept the fact that you are accepted. And he was speaking of grace, justifying grace, turning around, awakened awareness, being aware of the love and the companionship that is offered to us through Jesus the Christ, saying yes to the God who has said yes to us in Jesus Now let's think for a moment about that nature, that relationship that God offers. God is constantly pursuing us. Some folks have referred to that as God, the hound of heaven, baying, and you can hear the footsteps even before we've accepted God's grace, the provenient grace, God after us, like a hound, not to destroy us, not to harm us, but to love us, to care for us, and to call us to work in this world. The prophets often called in the Old Testament people to faithfulness, to make the grace of God known, to turn their lives around, to warn them and to to call them back to the ways of God. And there are examples after example of that. And one of those examples is in Hosea chapter one, the first three verses, Hosea the prophet. He's called, and it's a strange request, God calls Hosea to take a wife Of less than stellar reputation and to visualize in that relationship to the people of Israel what their unfaithfulness was all about so he married a woman named Gomer and I can't I just want to say shazam when I hear that word just um, Gomer of all people and what was up with that but it made the point the prophet made the point Now, Jesus began his ministry by calling people to the relationship offered by God. And in Luke chapter 4, it's very evident. According to that chapter with verse 16, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been raised. And he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, on the holy day. He went to church to worship, to put it in our terms, sort of, because that was his custom. And I've always thought if Jesus needed to be with the gathered people of faith on the holy day, how much more do we need? to be with a gathered community of faith. I've talked before about my least favorite song ever to have showed up on a Waffle House jukebox and it's called Me and Jesus Got Our Own Thing Going. We don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. Well, that's nonsense. We need each other. We do need that relationship with Jesus, but we need the support and the love and the encouragement of each other. We need to to be here as often as we can. You probably heard this story, but I can't really pass it up Uh, she walked into his room one Sunday morning and said get your sorry self out of bed it's Sunday and you got to go to church and from somewhere underneath the covers there was a large lump there covered by all these blankets and all the voice came back to her and said but mom I don't want to go those people there they're all stingy and they are snooty And none of them likes me very much. And she said, that doesn't matter, son. Get up and get ready for church. You're the pastor. (laughs) 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 You can can only imagine what it was like for Jesus to to show up to church. I mean, this was Jesus. And if he needed to be there. And I've always wondered, I think he was in the synagogue and he was often teaching, sitting down to teach. And he was not sitting toward the back, as somebody said, so that he could beat the Baptist to the restaurants. He he was there right in the middle of the whole thing. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to let the oppressed go free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor to house the blind to see. He was quoting from Isaiah. He was describing his ministry. The year of the Lord's favor to be proclaimed. Everyone was invited to the party. And that's what the grace of God, so much of the grace of God is all about. God wants all of us to come to the party. God does not offer us things but a relationship. The genuine love of of self-giving. Love from God and for God. Love from others and for others. They become so entangled and so intertwined. The two greatest commandments really may be one, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. We really can't separate those two. They are really one in so many ways. But love originates with God. And what a breakthrough it is in our prayer lives when we realize that the most important things or not things at all and then there's our acceptance of the relationship justifying grace what we're talking about the the moment or the moments when we accept the relationship God offers I remember on this confirmation Sunday I remember my confirmation and the pastor who led that class there were only five or six of us in there And I remember still some of the things he said to us, some of the things he said about God takes our sins, all of our sins, remembers them no more and buries them in the deepest part of the ocean. And I was trying to get my head and and heart wrapped around how deep that is and how important that is. I've, I've hung on to that expression and that thought for all of these years. And that acceptance is often referred to as our conversion. Prior to his life-changing, heartwarming experience on Aldersgate Street, May 24, 1738, John Wesley made the same mistake that the Apostle Paul and Martin Luther and others had made. figured if I can just keep all the laws and the rules and the regulations and get all that straight, then it's going to be fine. And my relationship with God will be fine, but something was still missing. And Wesley made that claim later that works never again intruded or protruded precursors of the justifying act. He said, I believe in justification by faith alone as surely as I believe that there is a God. Accepting what God has done for us. We don't have to get it all right. We keep working on that. We want to obey those commands. We want to keep things right relation with God. But somewhere along the way, we've got to open our heart and receive it. The grace he offers. And we find new ways of accepting Christ more and more into the depths of our hearts when we come to a better understanding of ourselves, when we come to a better understanding of God and the claim that God lays on our life. God is justified in doing that. Our acceptance is an act of faith. We never, never, ever merit the relationship. But by grace, Accepting by faith, it becomes who we are, and that's who we become. The faith that Jesus asked of his followers from the beginning of his ministry is one of trust and one of self abandonment, by which people no longer rely on their own strength. And that's hard for us, hard for us in our culture. We like that idea of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and doing things for ourselves. But in this matter of faith, we open our hearts. And receive something that's been done for us that we could never do for ourselves. One of my favorite writers talks about justification in terms of justifying the print, lining up both sides of the page where it all comes out and it looks neat and it looks even. Justification, lining our lives up with the things of God and living a way that would be pleasing to God to become servants for one another and for this broken world justified, lined up with God's call on our life. And we don't always have to hear that voice on the road to Damascus. We don't always have to be struck down. The writer said that just by noticing the holy and hallowing moments of our lives, those things that touch our hearts, those things that create memories for us, the joy we find in being alive and loving and caring for one another, the holy and hallowing moments of our life, and we become lined up with God's purposes, that God is active in our conversion and our justification is a sure thing that's core, that's bedrock for who we are and what we believe, that we grow in that faith and maturity, as the writer of Ephesians said in 4, chapter 4 and verse 13, to the full measure of the statue of Christ is another given. We don't get it all at once. We couldn't handle it and we couldn't stand it. God touches our emotions, and we respond with enthusiasm, but we do not depend solely on our feelings. Feelings are fickle, and they can fool us sometimes, and some of you may have been somewhere in your past done the karaoke thing. I've never, ever, I know better, but one of the most popular karaoke songs of all time is feelings, nothing more than feelings, but feelings can mislead us sometimes God does not dictate our response. It's a free decision. It's an act of our will. If we are not free to say no to God, then our yes doesn't mean anything. God's unconditional love makes this relationship possible. But once we begin, doesn't mean we've arrived. There's still that sanctifying piece of the thing where all of our lives we open to the grace of God, the means of grace. What we're doing here in worship and Bible study and prayer and those things, those acts of serving other people, they become means of grace. Ways that the grace of God pours into our lives and we grow in that grace and grow in that relationship. And we are blessed. Not just us, but us together when the church is on its best behavior, that's what we do well. We are graceful and gracious toward all persons in this world. Those we agree with, those who see the world like we do, and those who are different and come at things from a different place. And those who feel like they've been spurned by the church or never understood or never felt the love of the church. Let me wrap up with this story about Fred Craddock. He died a couple of years ago and he of all time, my favorite preacher and greatest storyteller I've ever encountered. You may identify with parts of his story. He said, My mother took us to church and Sunday school. My father didn't go. He complained about my mother coming home and lunch being late and just didn't like the whole thing. Sometimes a preacher would call and my father would say, Well, that's the church calling. I know what they want. Another pledge, another promise, another pledge, another promise, church doesn't care about me, want another pledge, another name on the roll, that's all they care about. And he said his dad said that over and over and over again throughout his life. He said he heard it a thousand times, church doesn't care about me. One time he did not say it. He was in the veterans hospital and he was down to 73 pounds. They would taken out his throat and said it's too late. They put in a metal tube, and the radiation had burned him. He said, I flew in to see him. He couldn't speak, couldn't eat. I looked around the room, potted plants and cut flowers on all the windowsills, a stack of cards 20 inches deep beside his bed. And even that tray where they put food, if you could eat on that, was a flower. And all the flowers beside the bed and every card and every blossom were from persons or persons in the church. And he saw me read a card, and he could not speak. So he took a box of tissues, a box of Kleenex, and he wrote on the side of it a line from Shakespeare. And Dr. Craddock said, if he had not written this line, I would not tell you this story. He wrote, in this harsh world, draw your breath in pain to tell my story. I said, what is your story, Daddy? And he wrote, I was wrong. It's all grace. And God has called us to be a graceful people. Amen.